Welcome to Arbor Bridge Church's weekly podcast with your teacher, Daryl Canty. Arbor Bridge Church exists to bridge the gospel and our community by connecting people to Jesus and each other. Visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com. Uh, so, I, I don't know if you guys feel this way when you think of this group of people, but when I think of this group of people, I feel like there's this, this opportunity for greatness um, amongst us. That I, I, always, I always think, man, there's so much potential, so much greatness. Um, and and there, there, I feel like there's this opportunity for greatness when a group of people come together and are willing to work together and listen to one another and create an atmosphere where people can be honest about who they are, what they're going through, what they're thinking, what they're feeling, and, and all of us just moving in the same direction towards Christ. I see that in us. I see that in us. And that's what I, that's what I would like, long for us to, to be. And so some of you guys are, you know, are closer along that path than others. Maybe you don't know very many people in our church family, but I always want every person in our church family to feel that, to sense that. Um, the group of people who do that have a chance of doing great things in the world, have a chance of doing amazing things in the world for Christ. Um, so currently in our world, many of us are, are whenever, whenever we get together with a group of people, we are terrified to say what we really think. We're ter- terrified to say, hey, this is what I really think, or this is what's really going on. Um, we're scared to share uh, and we're scared to share we don't understand, we're scared to share we don't agree, or, or we're, share, we're scared to share, you know, we think different things or feel different things. And um, because, you know, if I say the wrong thing, and maybe you've, maybe you've felt this way before, and I've certainly felt this way in the most recent years, I'm always afraid if I say the wrong thing, I'm afraid of being punished by, in some way by the people that I'm interacting with. I'm afraid of, if I say something that upsets you um, or if I hold a belief that, that you disagree with, right, yeah, that that's going to be into our friendship. Uh, and that's really hard for me. I've, I've shared that with you guys before. Uh, I hold friendship and I hold friends in high regard. Um, so when a friend uh, ends our friendship or ends our relationship over a difference of opinion, it always breaks my heart. Um, it's always really hard for me. Uh, and, but let me say this. It's not just personal. It's not just, you know, oh, it's, it's sad for you, Daryl. It, it's, it's not just that it breaks my heart. It's that when we can't, in the church family, when we can't share different opinions and still maintain our relationships, I think it hurts the cause of Christ. Um, I think it hurts what, what Jesus is about and what Jesus is trying to accomplish. Um, listen to this quote by, um, by Thomas Jefferson. He says this, I've never considered a difference of opinion in politics, in religion, in philosophy as a cause for withdrawing from a friend. I think his willingness to do this made him a better leader, a more, more fully formed, more mature leader. Our ability to stay in relationship with people who are different than us is really, really important, especially, especially if you're calling yourself the body of Christ. It's really important. It's vital for us being the kind of church who can reach out to people who are different than us, reach out to people who think differently than us and help people grow. Um, and, and typically the way, typically the way that we maintain relationships with people who are different than is we avoid talking about our differences, right? You've got somebody in your life that you're different than and the way that you keep having a relationship with them, you're like, Ooh, I better not talk about that with them. Um, and that's fine. 
That's fine. And that's even appropriate in some circumstances, right? I mean, that, that's appropriate um, in some of the relationships in our life. We don't have to share all of our thoughts in every relationship. <laughs> that, would be, that, would, that would be a mess, right? Um, we don't have to share all of our thoughts in every relationship we have. That being said, when that's the state of your relationship, there's a ceiling to it, right? There's a ceiling to that relationship. Like if, if I have a relationship where, where I know, oop, there's things that we shouldn't talk about. There's a ceiling to that relationship. It's not going to be able to get past. And that being said, that can be okay. If we have a relationship where there are things that we can't discuss for fear that will make each other too upset, there's a limit on that relationship though. And we doom, we doom our relationships in our churches to a level of strength and a level of maturity that, that can't endure any kind of real storm. When a real storm comes, those churches and those relationships fail because they've never been tested and they've never been strengthened and they, they've never gone through anything. I, I want our church to be a family where we don't all have to agree and where we, we, we make each other better by sharing experiences and thoughts and ideas. So I grew up in a church where we pretended that we agreed. I, I've shared this with you guys before. It, People would get up there and say, we all think this. And, you know, when they're saying that, we're like, oh, I don't think that. But you dare not say. You dare not say it out loud. And that led to this dysfunction. It led to this weirdness. And led to this, there was a ceiling on how effective we could be as the body of Christ. So um, my friend, uh, my friend Marilyn shared a research paper with me um, by some folks at the University of Chicago School of Law. It's funny, um, I just say quick sidebar. She, um, she sent me this email. She said, Daryl, I got this article I want to share with you. And then I, I, I open it up and it's like 86 pages. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's, that was, yes. So the document talks about um, how bad things happen when there's an atmosphere where people can't or won't disagree. Those kinds of organizations almost always, this, this article talks about this, all these, those kinds of organizations almost always fail because they become blind to their mistakes and they become insulated from information that could save them from their mistakes. And the, research, the researchers saw that close-knit groups, when people are close and they're tied and they discourage conflict and, and they, they discourage disagreement, often they lead to a toxic atmosphere where people become trapped by, by bad decision-making. The researchers also found, they also found this, they also found when a group of people are headed down, headed down a road um, where it's going to be unfortunate or it's going to be destructive. Um, if that group of people has cultivated an atmosphere where people can think differently, people can share ideas, people can say, hey, what about this? They, 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 when a group has done that, they often can avoid disaster because the input from the members of, the, of that group, they, they help write the ship, they help turn it back. Our church family has an opportunity for a kind of greatness that most churches do not have access to. And you guys know this, like churches typically attract people who all think the same. 
And if you don't think the same, then uh, in black circles, we always, we often talk about, well, that church is for white people or white, and often white Republicans. And if you're not, then isn't that awful that the body of Christ, when you're walking in the door, says, okay, are you white? Are you Republican? And if you're not, uh, you're going to feel uncomfortable here. That's bananas. That's crazy talk. I think we have an opportunity in, in a great way that is far beyond what each of us could imagine if we're brave enough to create the kind of community where differences are allowed and encouraged. And if we can talk about areas where we disagree and learn from each other, differences of opinion don't end our relationships, and we can do it, if we can do that, then we will be the light of the world that Jesus was talking about but while he was here on earth. He says, be one. And when you're one, then people will know that I am who I say I am. I find that exciting, and I think that we we can do it. One of the things that I think is really, really exciting about Ann Arbor is uh, clearly Ann Arbor is super liberal. That's great. Often churches attract people who are conservative. So because it's because we're a church in Ann Arbor. We have people who are more liberal-minded and we have people who come to church who are more conservative-minded. What if we could be in the same room together? What if we could be friends? What if we could share thoughts together? We are the body of Christ. And I think, yet that's probably not something we could do on our own, but not I, but Christ in me, he could do it. He could do it. Then we will have a love that will be real. We will have a love that will be able to weather any storm. I've been here 17 years, and there are some of you guys, you know, some of you guys are, you know, some people who are part of our church, some of you guys are in this room that I have gotten in straight up fights with. Not fist fights, but fights with. And the people who are, the people, you know who you are, those people are the people who are closest to me. And here's the thing, we're still friends. The people who you go through junk with, when the storms come, you're like, that storm ain't nothing. My fight with you is way bigger than that. I want to invite our church to practice these ideas next Sunday, September 11th. I want to facilitate a conversation about Roe v. Wade being overturned, but also a general conversation about abortion. Um, as your pastor, part of my job is to teach what I think God has to say about, about these kinds of things. Um, and one of, the, one of my fears is sometimes I, I interact with people who say something like, yeah, my pastor never talked about that. Um, and I feel like, what a failure as a pastor that this, this topic, you ne- in their 18 years or 20 years or whatever of being under that person's teaching, they never covered that? As a pastor, I feel part of my job is to say, here's what I think God has to say about this. Maybe, and you know, you can think I'm wrong. Here's what, here's what God has to say about this. You know, so this topic is such a hard topic. I want to make space for folks to share their perspectives too. So I've shared with some of you guys um, that I've been preparing for this. And as I've been doing it, I've done it in small groups, a small group setting. I've done it one-on-one. And as I've been doing it, I have 
learned so much from you. Learned so much listening to your stories, hearing perspectives I not heard before, and has been stretching and strengthening and maturing experience for me. Um, yeah. And I just want to share that with the rest of you. I want you to all have that experience. So let's plan on listening. Come and listen and share and thinking together about what's going to happen next Sunday. Um, let's make sure I'm just... Make sure this gets recorded so if people aren't here and they want to be ready to be participate next week, um, they'll be able to listen to it. So um, to prepare us for what I think, uh, you know, it's going it's to be a, a cool thing, uh, to prepare us for that, um, we're going to use Ephesians 4 uh, to help us um, prepare our minds for what, what's going to happen, uh, to be able to create an atmosphere of acceptance that's not based on us all thinking the same or agreeing on everything, but based on the love of Christ. Um, Ephesians 4. I'm going to read that to you from the Amplified Version uh, real quick. This is what it says. So I, uh, let me pause and just say, this is a, a guy named the Apostle Paul who's, who's, who's writing. He says, so I, the prisoner, the prisoner for the Lord, appeal to you to live a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That is, to live a life that exhibits godly character, moral courage, personal integrity, mature and mature behavior, a life that expresses gratitude to God for your salvation with all, humili- with all humility, forsaking the self-righteous and gentleness, maintaining self-control with patience. Bearing with one another in unselfish love, make every effort to keep the oneness of the spirit in the bond of peace. Each individual working together to make the whole successful. There is one body of believers and one spirit, just as you are called to one hope when called to salvation. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of us all who is sovereign over all and working through all and living in all. So um, Paul is, is in prison for his faith when he writes this. And he leverages that fact as a tool to motivate his readers. He says, listen, guys, I'm in prison. I'm in prison for Jesus. So the very least that you can do, the very least that you can do for him is live like godly folks. You're not in prison like me. He leads off, everybody, I'm a prisoner. So, I mean, since I'm doing this, you can at least, you can at least, you can at least do this. Live live godly, live godly, have have integrity, have mature behavior. I'm in prison, so the very least that you can do is interact with, with each other with humility to live in a way that contributes to the oneness of the spirit. So I want to pause and, and meditate on some of the words and phrases that are used to describe what this looks like. So um, we talked last week about this idea of God fills us with vision for what he wants us to live like. God fills us with a picture of what he wants us to live like. So Ephesians 4, we read through that and this is like God filling us with a vision of what he wants to look like. But as we get done reading it, it starts to, starts to leak out, starts to seep out. Here's the thing. When you're angry, this seeps out quicker, right? 
When you're in a conversation where you're disagreeing with someone else, this seeps out quicker. Like we just read Ephesians 4 and all of us who are Jesus followers are like, mm-hmm, yep, humbleness and sincerity and integrity. And you're like, yes. And then you get in a fight or you get in an argument with somebody who you disagree with and all of that is gone. God wants to fill us with a vision of who we are, who we should be. And as soon as we get done reading, it's leaking out. But I want us to meditate on these ideas to help fill us up again. And maybe you can do that this week, getting ready for our conversation. So let's, let's walk through these words that, that, that uh, Paul uses, and then um, I have more to share with you. So first, moral courage. Um, this, is the kind of courage this is the kind of courage that helps us speak the truth in love, even when we'd rather protect ourselves, or even when we'd rather say, I'm not, I'm not getting into that, even when you'd rather say nothing. Um, and again, maybe you've been in a group of people who are headed down a path, and you can see the path is wrong. But you don't say anything. Moral courage. Personal integrity um, with, mature behavior, with, with mature behavior. Um, the kind of integrity where we don't have to pretend that we have it together or that we always agree. Um, I, I, and again, because I, I, I value friendship so highly, I, I don't like the context, these contexts where I have to walk into a place and pretend and act like we all agree about something or, or act like I'm okay. I'm okay. We can't act like we, we can't act like that. At the same time, we can't act like babies who, uh, who can't have their way with all humility, forsaking self-righteousness. Um, have you ever noticed that you can become self-righteous about anything? Like I, when I was growing up, I thought only church people are self-righteous, but that's not true. That's not true. You can be self-righteous about Anything. My, 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 one of our, our family friends, he had, a, he had a hearse. Some of you guys know our friend Tyler, he had a hearse. And we found out that there's a whole community of people who own hearse, you know, you know, who, who, who own hearses. So we got on Facebook and we were talking with them and they were so self-righteous about owning a hearse, about the kinds of things you could use to, to fix it and all this. And I was like, you guys are self-righteous? It is human nature. We are drawn to be self-righteous about whatever we want. That self-righteousness separates from each other. Separates us from each other. It separates us from each other. When we are that, we, we, put, a, we put barriers between each other. Um, we are self-righteous about spiritual things, of course, or we are self-righteous about our, our opinions about whatever. We're self-righteous about our habits, our exercise, or what we eat, or what we don't eat. And we are self-righteous about how early we get up. We're self-righteous about how busy we are. When we behave that way, we set limits to the kind of conversations we can have. We set limits to our relationships. Um, and it comes naturally to us, so... We have, to, we have to fight it. We have to fight it. Paul uses, he says, with all gentleness. With all gentleness. So here's what Paul means. Here's what Paul means. You've been around someone um, who's been physically injured or, or even just sunburned. Um, intuitively, you deal with that person gently. Because 
you're, you're trying to, you're trying to ease their pain, or at the very least, you, you don't want to cause them any more pain. You are, you are, you are, you are gentle around them. So let me remind you of this quote that uh, this, many of you have heard before. Be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. Right? Right. Everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. When we are in conversations with people, especially, especially about hard things, we must deal gently with each other. Um, because it is possible that the person you're talking with has wounds around that subject that you're discussing and you have no idea about them. That doesn't mean you can't say what you think. But sometimes it means that you don't because it's not the right time or the person won't be able to bear it or, or any number of things. It means that we are slow, slow, slow to speak and we are incredibly cautious with our words because we know the power of words. We deal gently with one another for the cause of Christ. We deal gently. So much is at stake. We deal gently. So then with patience, bear with one another. You hold, um, you hold on to our relationship despite my dysfunction, despite my immaturity, despite my lack of knowledge. You hold on to that relationship anyway. Um, so I make, I, and he, he, Paul says this like this. He says, make every, every effort to keep the oneness between us. Every effort? Make every effort. That means I apologize. I reach out. I forgive. I let it go. I go out of my way. I walk across the aisle. I walk across the room. I say, hey, did, did, did what I said offend you? I want to make sure. Like, and you've, you certainly had that happen to you before. Like, somebody comes to you and apologizes for something that you're like, I, I don't even remember that. They are making every effort to keep the oneness between you. They go far past, and they think, if you think, maybe I might have offended them by saying, then you go out of your way and you say, I'm going I'm, I'm to make sure. This is, this, this, is, this is too important. I want to go out of my way to make sure that I'm going to call them. I'm going to, whatever, whatever. Um, to bend over backwards to keep the, the peace between us. I, and then I protect the unity. I protect the unity of this church. I protect the unity of this church. So <clears throat> obviously one of the questions is, Daryl, why don't you protect the unity of our church family by just avoiding discussions like this? Wouldn't that be smart? <laughs> Isn't that the way to, wouldn't that be far easier? Just avoid having discussions about hard things. You've seen how bad disagreements go. And so you've determined that the way to deal with bad, you know, hard, is just not to have those discussions. And I get that. I get that. And again, I'm not trying to be mean. I understand what you're saying. Let me tell you this. That's not unity. Right? I mean, come on. That's not unity. That's a different thing. We're not really one then. We can be in the same room and we can be friends, but we don't have oneness. Uh, And and when when tests come, again, this is what I said, when tests come, when storms, when their hard things come, then that kind of relationship won't won't be able to endure when the kind of oneness that we have is the kind where where we avoid anything that we would disagree about, then we scatter. Uh, You know, that community will fail. But if we have hard fought 
oneness between one another. Um, we have, you know, we have ev- we've made every effort to keep the oneness of the spirit through the bond of peace. Our bonds are the kind that will endure. Why, so let me, t- let me ask you this question. When Paul is talking to Christians, he says, bear with one another in love. If you have a relationship where you avoid hard things, then why do you have to bear with one another? You don't have to bear with the lady at the grocery store. Because that's not your relationship. And you can avoid talking with hard things with the lady with the grocery store. But if you have a relationship where you don't avoid hard things, then you have to bear with one another in love. The solution to bad disagreement isn't no disagreement. It's to disagree well and be able to maintain our our relationship despite our differences of opinion. And again, all of us have seen really bad disagreement happen. The solution isn't no disagreement. That puts a ceiling on our relationship. Listen to this. There's one body of believers and one spirit just as you were called to one hope when called to salvation, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and God and Father of us all, who is sovereign over all and working through all and living in all. So Ephesians 4 begins with this, this call to a kind of oneness that, that, that we're supposed to have amongst us, and not a false oneness that depends on not really know, you not, you're not really knowing me or knowing what I think, but a true oneness that's built on love. It's built on love. I don't want to communicate to you that I can love you and we can be one as long as I don't know you too well. Right? I want to say to you, whatever happens between us, we can be one. You think whatever you want, the chapter begins with this idea of we are one, but then it transitions to this idea that we are not the same. We are not the same. Listen to this. It says, naturally, there are different gifts and functions. Individually, grace is given to each to, uh, to us in different ways of the rich diversity of Christ's giving. So Paul is telling us that Christ is giving us different gifts, um, not not because we're awesome, but because he's awesome, because he's generous. Um, and the gifts that Paul is talking about, um, maybe like functional gifts, like, you know, you're good at details and behind the scenes stuff, and she's good at being on stage and sharing a message. Um, but I also think that it could also be applied to the idea that each of us has been given the gift of our personalities or the gift of our temperaments, the gift that makes us us. Um, we've been given things that make us unique. Those are things about us that make us think the way we do, that make us have the kind of opinions that we have, that, that, that make us drawn to, to thinking a certain kind of way. Uh, so example, some of you guys are naturally compassionate. Some of you guys are naturally compassionate. You can, you can teach the rest of us to be compassionate towards people who, don't sin, who, people who sin differently than us. You can teach us because it comes naturally to you. Some of you are, are more detailed rule followers. You play, play things by the book. Um, you could teach the rest of us to, to, to take what God says seriously. We need both people in the room. 
We need both people in the room and we need to hear what you think about things because you can help a group of us who are going off track to stay on track by your, the, the gifts that Christ has given you, your personality and your thoughts. And your, that's a gift to the rest of us. That's a gift to the rest of us. We need both. We need them to help shape our church for good. Well, so we've been given those gifts by Christ to, listen to this, fully equip and perfect the saints for works of service to build up the body of Christ, the church. Until, and listen to this, until we all reach oneness in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, growing spiritually to become a mature believer, reaching to the measure of the fullness of Christ, manifesting his spiritual completeness and exercising our spiritual gifts in unity. Wow. Can you reach this by pretending that we all agree? Can you reach this by, by having the, well, we better not talk about that. Can you reach that by having that kind of relationship? And I want to suggest to you that you can't. You cannot. You've been given the gift of your experiences and your childhood. You've been given the gift of your skills and your talents. You've been given the gift of how you tend to see things and your perspective and the way you interpret the world. You've been given all those gifts. So all those things are to be put under the Lordship of Jesus Christ and used to fully equip the rest of us so that we can serve others together. So we can kill it out there for the world, for Jesus Christ. We can be the light of the world. Your gifts are meant to build up this church so that we can reach oneness in faith and in knowing the Son of God. Have you ever considered this? Um, I, and I think I've talked about this before, um, but God's infinite. When we get to heaven, um, I used to think we, you, when I would get to heaven, then I would know everything about God. And clearly that's, that's not the case. God's infinite. And when we, get to, when we get to heaven, we'll be able to know him and explore him in ways that we can never do here. So you get to heaven and you might choose to explore this part of God for like a thousand years. You spend all this time exploring this part of God. And when I get to heaven, I might just choose to, to explore this part of God for like a thousand years. And then you and I, we could get together and we could talk about these areas of God that we've explored for a thousand years. And because of that, we both will benefit. We're like, oh, I didn't know that about God. We can experience some of that here and now, but only if we create an atmosphere where everything that I experience about God, you know, it doesn't have to be the exact same way that you've experienced God. And clearly there are boundaries to this, this concept, but inside the boundaries is wide open spaces and some freedom to learn from one another. If we could create the kind of atmosphere where you could say, it's safe to say. When I read um, sections of scripture like this, I totally agree. And I think, yes, that is what I want. But I quickly, quickly forget the oneness that um, Ephesians 4 is calling us to. And I quickly forget the kind of community um, that can't be built on ease and comfort. I love ease and comfort. <laughs> Thinking that a, a, our community can be built on ease and comfort is like imagining I can become a great athlete by eating cupcakes and taking naps. Clearly, that won't work. That's not how you become great. Ephesians 4 calls us, you know, calls on us to be the 
fullness of Christ. When, when, when I read that, when I, when I read, I, I, I think, does Paul really want us to be the fullness of Christ? I mean, I, I th- you would think that he would say, I want you to be, you know, something, like, uh, just a little bit of the fullness of Christ. He says, I want you to be the fullness of Christ. That's going to take us all. It's going to take us all. It's going to take us all. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be <laughs> stretching. It'll be able to mature us in ways that don't come natural to us. When we take communion together, um, it's like celebrating the, the anniversary of a wedding. It's, like, it's that moment where we're saying, oh yeah, I, I did promise to live for Christ. I did, I did give my life over to him. I did say, yes, I'm in. Um, the, remember? Communion is our recommitment to Christ and one another. Listen to this. Um, the work, this is Ephesians 4.13, the work must continue until we are all joined together in the same faith and in the same knowledge about the Son of God. We must become like a mature person. We must grow until we become like Christ and have all his perfection. That's, that's, a, that's a high goal. <laughs> That's a high goal. Let me tell you this. You know this. You will not do that on your own. You will not do that by yourself. We are called to do it together. We are called to do it together. So what I want to do during this time of communion that we're going to have in just a few minutes, I want us to commit to allowing the spirit to bring this about in our lives. And it's going to take in you, in us, it's going to take, it's going to take a commitment to Christ but it's going to take a commitment to one another. Um, in our culture right now, it's, you know, it's common for people to think, I can be just as good of a follow- Jesus follower on my own as I can be as part of a church. That is a lie. That is not true. We need one another. We need one another. So I want to pray together that during this time of communion, we would commit allowing the Spirit to do this in us to commit us to Christ and to commit us to one another, commit us to do Ephesians 4 with one another. And that as you take communion, let it be an anniversary. Let it be a little anniversary of when you first committed to Christ. You said, yes, I'm willing to give my life to you. Let's pray together towards that. Dear Father, most certainly, You have called us to interact with each other in a way that is glorious. When we see it happening, when we see other people do it, it's like, wow, that was so humble. That was so gentle. That was so forgiving. I pray that you would would do that in us now. Let, let that, those things that Ephesians 4 talks about come alive in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let them come alive in us now. And I pray that as we, as we take communion together, that 
even if, even if in our minds we think, ah, there's no way I can do that. There's no way I can be humble. There's no way I can be gentle. I'm always self-righteous. They always say things I shouldn't. That, that in this moment, we wouldn't know how it's going to happen, but we would just commit to letting it happen. Commit it to saying, I want this to happen in me. Let this communion be a little anniversary of when we first met you, when we first devoted our lives to you. We want you to mature us to bring about something in our church family that we absolutely know we can't bring about on our own. And we know that it comes from us learning to share life together, to share our thoughts, to share, to share our perspectives, our experiences. And again, we, we, we're going to be wrong about any number of things. But you perfect us through our relationships with one another and our relationships with you. Help us to commit to those right now as we take communion together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information on our church, visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com.